Good morning again. We are in week two of our summer study of the book of Proverbs. So you can turn to chapter one of Proverbs if you have your Bible with you. We'll also have the words on the screen and we are going to look at a number of texts today. As I was preparing, I was thinking about the fact that I have made some foolish choices in life. Have you guys made some foolish choices in life? Made some wise ones too. Wisest choice I've ever made was to become friends with God through Jesus Christ. It's the wisest choice I've ever made. Second wisest choice I've ever made was marrying Amanda Hutchison. So I haven't told you guys how we met. We met on a half-blind date. And we met on a half-blind date because I was attending church with my sister and my parents back in Dallas. I lived in another town. And uh, I was attending church with them, and Amanda happened to walk by and say hi to my sister, who knew her. They both volunteered in student ministry together. Uh, And so uh, my sister, Lindy, said hi to her, and my dad thought, that girl's cute. Introduce her to your brother. I don't know what my sister said to that, but my dad immediately made a beeline for me over in the lobby and said, hey, bro, there's a girl over there you need to meet. And I said something very, very holier than thou, very pastory, like we're here to meet with the Lord, not meet women because that's who I am. And so he was like, get off, you know, get off your high horse. Keep my, my dad was the best man in our wedding. So he's a very good friend, right? Not just dad, he's a very good friend. And he's like, get off your high horse. He's like, enough, enough. Like, you don't know anything about her. Leave me alone. So we go into worship, we come out. My dad's doing the weird thing of kind of keeping an eye on her in the lobby. <laughs> Creeper move. I mean, like, do not do that, right? And he's like, Trent, there's been like five dudes that have walked up to her in 10 minutes, Right, and, and I said, Dad, enough already, enough. Just like leave it alone. So we go home. And my dad's trying to be a good friend. My sister then thinks about it and ponders. My sister and I are close friends. She's never, ever, ever, at that point in 31 years, said to me, there's a girl you should meet. That's never been uttered out of her mouth before in my entire life. We have a very, we like each other a lot. We don't think other people are good enough for one another. That's just kind of how the dynamic is with she and I. And so she goes, you know, Trent, come to think of it, I think you should meet Amanda. I think you'd like her. Which at that point, like the alarm bells go off and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I say to her, I say, next time you bump into her. Now in girls speak, apparently that is call her now. (laughs) Because I need help. What I said was, next time you bump into her, you know, whatever, at church, in a meeting, just ask if I could give her a call, ask her out. And she's like, no, you need more help than that. I'm calling her now. So she calls her Sets up the whole deal, and we go on a first date, and the rest is history. The rest is history. But here's the thing. The second best choice that I've ever made in my entire life, I would not have made had it not been for two good friends, my dad and my sister, who took the time to say, hey, buddy, you're getting in your own way here. Let us help you out. Let us show you what wisdom looks like. Now, as we're looking at the book of Proverbs, Remember, we saw last week in Proverbs chapter 16 that the message of the book is that wisdom is more precious than gold. It's to be sought after more diligently than you would seek after silver. Do y'all remember that from last week? So that's the aim. It's saying, go after wisdom. Be somebody who pursues it. This week, we're gonna look at friendship and what Proverbs teaches us about friendship. And you could summarize the teaching of Proverbs about friendship in this way. Proverbs says that friendship is a catalyst to true wisdom. And if you want to become wise, to say it another way, if you want to become wise, you need good friends. 
You need good, deep, significant, sincere friendships. Without them, it is next to impossible to become wise. Listen to how Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says it. Sort of a summary statement as it comes to this idea of friendship running throughout the book of Proverbs. Here's what chapter 13, verse 20 says. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things there. One, do you notice that it's not that the person who, is, who walks with the wise might become wise. It's the person who walks with the wise, what? Will become wise. They're speaking it like a guarantee. Like if you will choose to surround yourself with wise people, you will become what, church? Wise, absolutely. And let's remind ourselves, wisdom is to be sought after more than gold, more than silver, So in order to become wise, surrounding ourselves with wise people is really, really important. It's not saying that you couldn't become wise uh, without good friends, but it is saying that it seems almost next to impossible, right? The idea that Proverbs wants you to get when it comes to becoming wise through friendship is that friendship is so necessary to becoming wise that the idea of, of this sort of lonely hermit, this lonely wise man who lives in a cave somewhere is a myth. That that person doesn't exist. The person who isolates themselves from others will not become wise. But I want you to hear the other side of the equation as well there in that verse. It's not just that those who walk with the wise become wise. It's also that those who are the companion of what? Fools will suffer harm. In other words, to walk with the wise is to become wise. But to walk with the foolish is to become foolish. And to suffer the harm of being foolish and of making foolish choices Now, I want to say right there as a caveat, what Proverbs is not arguing for is complete separation from people who don't share our faith. Can we just acknowledge that? There's absolutely an important role for us. We're told in the New Testament that we are to be in the world but not of the world, right? To be in relationship with those who do not know or worship Christ. Some of you might have brought a friend here today. That's the case. You've brought them because they're exploring who Christ is. That is a good friendship. We're so glad that you possess that friendship. But what Proverbs is telling us is that the deepest, most significant relationships in our life, the ones that shape us the most, should be among those who fear the Lord and who worship Christ. Those who, who are wise in the way that God determines what wisdom is. And that that will shape us. And it's important for us to recognize, I think sometimes it's very easy for us to slip into the mentality that those with whom we keep company don't shape us. But we need to recognize that everyone with whom we keep company does shape our lives. Everyone with whom we keep company shapes our our, our lives. So those who keep the company of the wise become wise. And those who keep the company of fools become foolish. That's a summary statement of Proverbs teaching on friendship. Now, there are two aspects of friendship in particular that Proverbs is going to focus on. So we're going to break our conversation today into those two categories. The first category is the kind of of friends we choose. How do you choose your friends? That's the first question that Proverbs is going to try and answer for us. How do you choose your friends? The second category that it's going to talk about is what kind of friend are we to be? What kind of friend are you and I to be? Are we going to be the kind of friends, and this is gonna be the challenge. Let me just kind of prepare your hearts for it if I can. The Spirit of God wants to challenge you today to ask the question, am I the kind of friend that if if you have me as a friend, that you become wiser because of me? That you grow in wisdom because I am your friend. Are you that kind of a friend? But I've been challenged all week 
by the teaching of Proverbs. I've been studying and preparing for this morning and praying and thinking about it. Just been challenged by a number of the things that Proverbs has to teach us about how we choose our friends and about the kind of friend that we need to be and to have in our life if we want to become wise. So let's look at those two questions. The first question, how do we choose friends wisely? So a couple things here. And let me just tell you, Proverbs has much to say. I've had to try and put it into themes, but there's still so much. I couldn't eliminate too much. So we're gonna kind of hit a number of things in a short, kind of quick fashion. Hopefully it'll whet our appetite and send you back to the word of God this week to ponder these even more fully because I'm not gonna take the time to ponder each one of these statements for a long period of time. So we're gonna hit them somewhat quickly. So the first thing that we see in answer to this question, how do we choose friends wisely? The first answer to that question is don't choose friends who hurt others to get what they want. Don't choose friends who hurt others to get what they want. Now let me just say that this applies to friendships in the sixth grade and it applies to business partnerships when you're 60. Don't choose friends who will hurt others to get what they want. Listen to what Proverbs chapter one, verses 10 through 19 says. This is our longest text of the day. It says, my son, as a father speaking to his son, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. There's a lot of rich imagery there, yes? So I love the idea. I mean, they paint such a rich picture in wisdom literature, in books like Proverbs, and a couple pictures that are painted there, right? Number one is that he's saying their feet are swift to shed blood, as if they just can't wait to get in there and cause harm to somebody else. They seek after us to unjust gain. They're not worried about the cost to anyone else as long as they get what they want. But then, in a twist of fate, like in a, in a twist of the text that caused you to go, oh my goodness, we didn't see that coming, What he says is, you know, a bird is, there's a reason we use the term bird-brained to mean not real smart, right? Because birds are not the most brilliant animals, right? And what he says is, even a bird, if you spread a trap in front of that bird, will not jump in the trap. Even a bird is smart enough to not do that if they see you setting the trap. But these guys, not only do they watch the trap being set and, and then walk into it, they set the trap themselves. And then they jump into it. That's how dumb these guys are. That's essentially what the writer of Proverbs is saying. They destroy their own lives through their pursuit of unjust gain. Now think about this as it pertains to friendship. The wise walk with the wise, the foolish walk with the foolish, and the first thing we see here by the kind of friends we choose is that we should not choose friends because it's foolishness. We should not choose friends who pursue unjust gain because not only will they harm themselves, they'll harm us in the process. We should not choose friends who are willing to hurt others to get what they want. That's 
Really important because, look, like I said, it applies to the sixth grader on the playground who tears someone down so that they can look better in the eyes of others. That person is a person that will cause harm to us just as much as the business partner who says, you know what, it doesn't matter whether we're moral or immoral. As long as we get the bottom line what, the way we need it to be, then we're good. That's not a person with whom we should be in close partnership. You with me? That's the first lesson on choosing friendships. The second lesson is that we should choose a few deep relationships over many shallow ones. We should choose a few close relationships, a few deep relationships over many shallow ones. Now, I I need my extroverts to listen up to me here, okay? Because the introverts, you're like, yeah, we already knew that. We don't like that many people to begin with. We're happy to have a few. And the extroverts in the room are like, but I love to have the whole party. The whole thing. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 18 says. You can flip over to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. And we're just gonna kind of make our way from left to right through the book here. So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a lot of the wisdom of Proverbs is just imparted in quick little snippets, little two-line verses. Chapter 18, verse 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I want you to notice a couple things there in that little two-line verse. Number one, there's a different Hebrew term that's used, and that's why for companion and for friend, that's why it's translated as two different English words, companion being an acquaintance. Now, it's not wrong to have acquaintances, but the idea is that the person, the man of many companions may come to harm because he has no true close friends is the idea that's trying to be translated there, which is why then in the second half of the verse when it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, what the, what the writer of the proverb is trying to say is, don't choose the first part of the sentence, choose the second part of it. Choose to have a few friends who are closer than a brother, that are tight, that are thick, that are deep friendships, that you know well, that will stick by you through thick and thin. That friend who sits closer than a brother is of more value than having a lot of companion-like friends that aren't going to show up in the day of adversity. That's why the person of many companions may suffer harm. The assumption is if you spend your time cultivating that many acquaintance-type friendships, you haven't taken the time to go deep in a few friendships. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is it's better to choose a few deep friendships than to have a thousand acquaintance friendships. Now, that's an important reality to recognize because here's the thing. We have to recognize that friendship is essentially, like if I were gonna argue, like what's the formula for cultivating friendship? And formula is not the right word. I just don't have a better one, right? But you say, what's the formula for cultivating friendship? I would argue that it's probably three things added together. It's probably three things added together. Time, vulnerability, and grace. I think the deepest friendships that come into our life are those where we spend, we log the hours together. We move through the years together. We show up. We're present with one another. We, we prioritize that in one another's lives. Time and then vulnerability. And this is an important one. And I'm tempted to say, guys, we need to listen to this more than the ladies. Maybe the ladies would say vulnerability is hard too. But from my perspective, you just seem better at it than us. Maybe you fake it really well. I don't know. But you seem better at the vulnerability thing. I think, guys, we are scared to death. We may be the biggest, strongest, toughest, most intellectually adept dudes in the room, and yet deep inside, we are scared to death to let somebody really see what's going on. 
I mean, to really admit, like, this is the stuff I'm struggling with. The, these are the kind of thoughts that come into my head when I'm, not, when I'm not really thinking right. These are the kinds of things that play out in my head. We, we won't admit those things. It is too frightening. And guys, let me just say, I get it, and I'm with you. I get afraid of that too. I don't know that vulnerability ever becomes easy. That's the thing. You would think, I'll do this, and I'll get better at it, and I'll tell you that every time I have to choose vulnerability in my life group, every time I have to choose vulnerability in a close, deep relationship with someone I trust to say, I'm gonna choose vulnerability here to admit what's going on so that we can grow deeper together so that I can become truly wise because I can have a true friend here. Every time I have to choose that, it's still hard. It's never easy to admit failings or flaws or that my mind seems to be haywire sometimes. It's just, it, it doesn't get easy. Practice is good, but vulnerability is important. So time, vulnerability, and then the last one is rather than filling our friendships with criticism or pushing people away when that vulnerability comes, it's grace. Just the deepest relationships are always the result of being received by grace through people. When you mess up, when you fall short, when you don't meet expectations, when you fail to be the faithful friend that you needed to be, when people give you grace. This is how Jesus transforms us. You know this, right? Jesus transforms us. Does he discipline us? Yeah. Does he correct us? Yes. But is there always grace for sin? Have you ever come to him and asked forgiveness and found that he didn't forgive you? That's what grace is. And it's, great. it's that grace that warms the heart to the things of God. It's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not fear of judgment. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. We find that grace is the most transforming agent in the world. That's why Jesus died for sin while we were still enemies of God. He loved us and died for us. That's grace. True, deep friendship, I really think, is, is, boils down to time, vulnerability, and grace. And when those th- three things are present, I think you find a depth of relationship that perseveres through thick and thin and makes you wise. Makes you wise. Let's look at the next thing, then, about choosing friends. In chapter 23, verse 20, so you can flip there, we find this. Chapter 23, verse 20 and 21 say, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. And I love that he uses both there so it's not just one thing. It's not just going, oh, someone who likes to consume alcohol too much. He's including someone who's overeating, someone who's over drinking. The idea there is someone who's indulging their desires. Whatever their desires may be, the most basic desire any of us have is to eat, yes? To feed our body, we need to do that. He's saying someone who overindulges even those most basic of desires Here's what he says about it. Sorry, I lost my place. Let me find it again. There we go. Uh, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. So in other words, what he's saying is don't choose friends who lack self-control. If you find yourself regularly in deep relationship with those who lack self-control, the thing you'll find is that you're led into those same patterns of indulgence. And self-control is something, our, as friends, we're not supposed to help one another walk down the path of indulgence. We're supposed to help one another walk down the path of self-control, yes? To demonstrate a right understanding of how much and when and appropriateness, right? 
Now, here's the thing that was interesting to me as I pondered it this week. I was thinking about how many of our friendships revolve around common interests, right? I mean, a lot of times we find friends because we like to fish together, or we like to play golf, or we, we like to knit or sew, or whatever our thing might be. We like to do that thing, and because we like to do that thing, we make friends with people who like to do that thing. And that's, a, that's not bad. That's good. But the thing that struck me and I was a little convicted of was how often my friendships revolve around leisure activities. And the more that friendship centers around that leisure activity, the more that's what I do with those friendships. And rather than that friendship being transformative and helpful, it really just becomes about me indulging my desire for leisure and for comfort more and more. Because whenever I'm with those guys, that's what I do. It's not wrong, I like to play golf. It's not wrong to go play a round of golf with my buddies. But what if that's what all my, all my relationships revolve around? It's just leisure activities. It's far better to revolve our friendships around the mission that God has given us in life than it is around the leisure that we take in life. Because when we revolve around leisure, what we do is we press further into indulgence. But when we revolve, and leisure is good, but leisure should be utilized for the sake of refreshment, for the sake of mission. So that when we partake of leisure together, it centers us back on the thing that God has given us as a mission in life. That we would lock arms and run after it together. And when a friendship is centered around mission and partakes of leisure, it's very different than when a friendship centers around leisure and maybe every once in a while dabbles in mission. Do you see the difference between those things? So making friends who help us in the area of self-control. Don't choose friends who overindulge their desires. Last one in this area of how do I choose friends wisely. We found in chapter 24, verse 21 and 22. So maybe just a page over to the right there. And then we find this. Choose friends who fear the Lord. Choose friends who fear the Lord. This is a sort of summary statement uh, when it comes to friendship and how we choose them. Look at verses 21 and 22 says this, my son, fear the Lord and the king. In other words, those whom God puts in authority. Fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster from them will rise suddenly and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. So in other words, what the writer there is telling us is he's saying, Son, fear the Lord. Now remember that in Proverbs, fear the Lord, we said it had two components. It had, a, it had a choice of the will component and it had an emotional component. But most of the time, Proverbs is focused on the choice of the will as fear of the Lord, which I find very helpful because it's very hard to say feel a certain way, even though the scriptures do that from time to time. It's much easier to say make these kinds of choices with your will. Exercise your will to have this disposition. And if you remember from last week, I won't test you and call any names, but I'm sure you remember what we said the fear of the Lord is. <laughs> A few of you. The fear of the Lord in Proverbs is two things. Humbling ourselves before the Lord and turning away from evil. And now you can all shake your head like you totally remembered that. Absolutely. Choosing to humble ourselves before the Lord and turning away from evil. So then the question becomes, if we're told, fear the Lord and don't, don't associate or don't like form deep relations with those who, who don't fear the Lord and who don't fear the king, then what we're being told there is choose friends. When we say choose friends who fear the Lord, what we mean is choose friends who humble themselves before the Lord and who turn away from evil. So when you evaluate your friendships and the people you're choosing to be in close relationship with, one of the questions is do they regularly turn away from evil? Is that something they choose? 
Is that something I'm helping them choose? Is that a dynamic that's at play? All right, so let's turn now to the second question. I told you we're gonna, we're gonna hit those quickly, right? But let's look now at the second question, which is how, do I, how can I be a wise friend? How can I be a wise friend? And let me encourage you to really kind of tune in because here's what happens. I know that in life, uh, when we're talking about choosing friends, maybe the younger, the younger here might think I'm still in that place of choosing friends, particularly if I'm like new to town or, you know, if I just went from one season of life to the next, I recognize that, you know, like you get married and sometimes you form, you form new couple friends. So you're really thinking about the friends you're choosing. Sometimes if you've walked the path a little bit longer, you're kind of like, well, I got my friends, right? And so the choosing friends thing may not resonate quite as much. One, I would still say evaluate who you're choosing to be friends with. But I really want to invite you to hone in now as we come to this part of like, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Which I find to always be a helpful question to come back to, no matter what age I am at or how long I've been friends with somebody to ask, am I the kind of friend that is producing wisdom in the lives of those who are my friends? So let's look at these then. The first thing we find, we're going to go back to chapter 16 now. So flip back a few pages, back to chapter 16, verse 28. The first thing we find there is don't listen to gossip about your friend. Don't listen to gossip about your friend. Here's what it says. It says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Now, it's easy enough, and I'm gonna take it as a given that we understand we shouldn't gossip about our friends, yes? Yes? All right, awesome. You know I need to, I just need something here. So thank you. All right, so that's taken for granted. But recognize the text actually isn't saying to us, don't gossip about your friends. That's good. Don't do that. But it's actually telling us that the whisperer separates close friends. In other words, the lesson on friendship is about what do you do when somebody comes and tells you something, whispers some piece of gossip to you about a friend of yours. Do you allow it to create separation or do you deal with that in such a way that you're saying, no, no, I'm not gonna listen to that. That's my trustworthy friend. Now the reason the scriptures tell you that you should not listen to that person is because it says, what it, remember, go back to the very beginning of the verse, a dishonest man spreads strife. So what they're telling us then, and the parallel is the whisperer is parallel to the dishonest man. So the whisperer, the one saying, hey, you didn't know this about your friend, but I'm gonna spread this piece of gossip about them. And when they come to you, you can assume that that person is the dishonest man or woman. Why can you assume that? How can you know that they're not telling you something true? Because if they were honest, they'd go straight to your friend and talk to them. They wouldn't be coming to you. And so your job in that moment is to say, no, I'm not gonna listen to it. If there's a problem, I'll go with you to talk to my friend because you need to take this to them. If there's a problem, if there's some way that they, you feel hurt by them, whatever's taking place, I'll go with you and we can talk directly to them. But I'm not gonna sit here and listen to you talk and tell gossip about someone that I care about who is my friend because I'm not gonna allow this whispering to come in and separate close friends. So the first thing we see to be a good friend who provides wisdom is we're not gonna listen to gossip about our friends. Here's the thing that you find. Someone who's well-intentioned in that and is perhaps mistakenly bringing gossip and was just trying to figure out like what to do will take that invitation and they'll go with you and they'll have that conversation because that's godliness and it is wisdom. But the person who is dishonest and is telling a lie or perhaps you know just trying to get people on their side in some kind of 
odd battle for allegiances, that person won't go with you and they will identify themselves as a liar in that moment. They have just identified themselves as the dishonest person when they're unwilling to go have that conversation face to face. That's what they've, they've just put that label right on themselves. And so we can know I'm not listening to this person. Second thing that we see about being a wise friend is that wise friends show up in the hard times. This may, again, be one of those things that seems self-evident. So often Proverbs is the kind of wisdom that you hear it and you just immediately go, yes. Like something in you resonates with what you read there, right? Would you agree with that? You read this and you just go, "Uh uh-huh. There's something in you that just gets it. It's like, yeah, that's true. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So let's just point out the obvious here. A friend loves when it's convenient. A friend loves when they got a good night's sleep and it's easier to do so. A friend loves when, you know, they have what you need and it's just like, yeah, I can do that. And a friend loves at all times. And then I love the second half of that verse because they use this, you were born for this kind of language and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, When adversity comes, when the hard time comes, the brother understands that I exist for this very reason. This is why my friendship with you exists. It's, I was born so that I could be a friend who practiced this kind of friendship. When adversity and hardship comes, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna choose to be present, not lean out and be absent somewhere. And let me just tell you, can I just tell you to expect, you don't have to know the right thing to say. You don't have to know exactly what to do. You don't have to solve the problem that they're in because you're probably not going to have any of those things. What you do have to do is show up. Just show up. And let me just take the weight off of you. One, show up, listen to your friend, and listen to the Spirit. Just show up, listen to your friend, and listen to the Spirit. What a good thing it is to show up in the life of a friend who's in the midst of adversity and say, I don't know that I have any great counsel for you, but you know what I can do? I can pray with you, and as we pray, we'll listen to the Holy Spirit and see if he gives anything to us that, we should, that you should know or that I should say to you. And can I just tell you, even if the Holy Spirit does not impart a pearl of wisdom for you in that moment to give to them, even if that doesn't happen, if the Spirit chooses not in that moment to give that pearl of wisdom, all that you will have done is been present with someone who is hurting and will have walked with them. Will have walked with them. I love, uh, keep in mind, oh, is it First Kings? Please forgive me. I'm forgetting if it's chapter 18 or 19. I want to say it's First Kings 19. One of my favorite uh, stories in scripture is the story of Elijah after the prophets of Baal uh, he's had a great victory over them but then Jezebel the queen threatens his life some of you may remember the story and he has this panic moment where you know he says to God like I'm the only one left I'm the only one left and he, what he's saying to God is like you've abandoned me God you have abandoned me he feels alone and hurt and uh, my friend always says he causes Elijah to fall asleep by, by some water, by a brook. And uh, my friend always says, you know, Elijah, when he was alone and afraid and sad, he just needed a nap, a snack, and a friend. It's so true, right? I need a nap, a snack, and a friend. I feel that way a lot. Can I just get a nap and a snack, please, and a good friend? And he brings Elisha to him. But there's this great moment 
There's this great moment, so instructive for us, where Elijah, uh, God shows up when Elijah's on the mountain, and it says, you know, there was this whirlwind, but God wasn't in the whirlwind. I mean, he's breaking the mountain apart. Do you think God caused that? That didn't just happen, right? So God caused it. And then there's a fire. So God, but God wasn't in the fire. So the scripture's making a point to tell us all these things that God is sending and doing, clearly, they didn't just happen. God's doing them, but God's not in them in the way that Elijah kind of needs God. And then it says there was the sound of, and we often, the English translates it as there was a still small voice, but that implies that God said something, but God and Elijah had already been talking and Elijah's been complaining to him and then they're gonna talk again afterwards. So probably what's taking place there is not that God says something to Elijah in a whisper as if that helped him. The better translation is then there was the sound of sheer silence. And it says Elijah covered his face. Why did Elijah cover his face? Because he knew God was there. And when God was there, it was enough. He didn't actually need an answer. He didn't actually need God to say, well, here, here," you know, Elijah's going, where are you and what are you doing? And God goes, well, let me explain what I'm up to. And God doesn't do that. God is present with him in silence now take that into our friendships and imagine how instructive it, would, if, instructive it would be when our friends are encountering adversity if we show up and recognize that our presence in silence might be more helpful than our presence in language. There's a way that just being present with people is like a healing balm. Good friends show up. That's what chapter 17 is telling us. The next thing we see is that friends who make their friends wise speak to their friends with more kindness than is deserved. They speak to their friends with more kindness than is deserved. Listen to chapter 22, verse 11. A few pages over to the right, it says this. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. In other words, Even the king will want you as a friend if you're the kind of person who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious. Now, what is gracious speech? What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. It's undeserved kindness. And so gracious speech, then, is speech that is better than we deserve. It's people who are speaking to us with a kindness that is unmerited. That kind of friend brings wisdom into our lives. As I was thinking about this text, I was thinking about when I was 18 years old, I had a group of buddies, and they were good friends, they were followers of Jesus, and we got together every Thursday to study the Bible, which for 18-year-olds was, a, you know, I think a pretty faithful feat. But as 18s, 18-year-olds are wont to do, sometimes we lacked some of the wisdom that we needed. And one of the things that took hold in our relationships was kind of a, a one-upsmanship in storytelling and in who could kind of cut the other ones down the best. There was this desire to always make the funny, witty statement in response to whatever was said. And what it led to was us really just kind of critiquing one another all the time, kind of cutting each other down all the time, which, guys, that feels like it's part of our MO, yeah? Sometimes guys in relationship have that as part of their MO. You know what happened in those relationships? These are good friends who had a relationship centered around Christ. Is Our friendships waned over the course of that year and then the years ahead because we got to the place where we were not sure that we could say anything without being made fun of. 
that you couldn't say anything sincere without someone trying to make a witty comeback or a witty statement that wasn't really witty. It was just sarcasm sort of writ large in such a way that it just degraded and demeaned. And what happened over the course of time is that we, I think, we stopped trusting one another. We stopped being willing to say to one another the things that, the vulnerability that we needed to express with one another. We just, we didn't have the wisdom at 18 to see what we were doing. But friends, whether you're 18 or you're, you know, 68, it's still possible that that kind of speech is present. I mean, you, you know what that's like, right? To feel like, oh, I just, I could, I could, I could make the joke right here. I could jump in with that good little zinger. Just learn to make your tongue still. Choose to not take that opportunity. Because recognize that the long-term effects of constantly being the, the one who goes for that, that little jab is that your speech is not filled with graciousness. And when your speech is not filled with graciousness, it's filled with criticism. And speech filled with criticism hinders friendship, which hinders wisdom. Being critical will prevent you from becoming wise. You gotta really fight against it. The next thing we see about the kind of friend that we're supposed to be is that, well, go to chapter 27, verse six. I just wanna read this to you. It's one of the more famous Proverbs. My guess is if you're familiar with the Bible, some of you may be new too, which is great. But if you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard this one before. Chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful, or sorry, pr- uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What the writer of Proverbs is telling us there is that a true friend is willing to wound with the truth. A true friend is willing to wound with the truth. We just talked about being gracious with our speech. Being gracious with our speech does not preclude being willing to wound with the truth. Now let me just say that this this takes time in a friendship because you shouldn't imagine that you become friends on day one and it's your turn now to wound with the truth. That person is not gonna be friends very long. But when you've logged the hours and spent the time and you've been vulnerable with one another and you've been filling your speech with graciousness, guess what? When it's time to wound with the truth, you'll be able to do it and it'll be received. (coughs) Friends, I wanna point out that the opposite, right? The opposite is to be an enemy, to fill your speech only with kisses, even when those kisses are not really genuine, right? Because what's needed is, is to be, is a wounding, to prevent someone from going off the cliff, to going the wrong direction. When that's what's needed, you have to bring that wounding. And there's a reason it doesn't say a slap on the hand. Faithful is the slap on the hand of a friend. It says faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, the friend who is willing to speak the hard truth to you is the true friend, not the one who always just fills their words with nothing but affirmation. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I love how Proverbs calls us to wisdom and balances itself, right? Fill your speech with graciousness. Be willing to wound with the truth. It doesn't ever allow us to just kind of go, oh, okay, well, so then all I'll ever do is just be complimentary all the time, right? It comes over to the other side and says, no, no, let me balance this. Let me come to you and say, be a friend who is faithful enough to be able to wound for the sake of the truth. Do so graciously, 
Do so patiently. Can I speak here for a moment to my, to my conflict avoiders? Because the conflict seekers are like, I'm good. I got it. I'm ready. My conflict avoiders, we need you. Because your track record of <laughs> avoiding conflict makes it most likely that we will hear these words from you better than we'll hear it from anyone else. If you'll be willing, you also need to recognize my conflict avoiders that if you're the very person you consider a dear friend, you are acting towards them as an enemy if you will not do this. You are proving to be their enemy. You're allowing them to go right off the cliff, which is exactly what an enemy is happy for someone to do. But a true friend will prevent them from going off that cliff by being willing to wound when necessary. Last one, chapter 27, verse 10. This is a super simple one, and it's just this. Friendship that brings wisdom is friendship where you are willing to ask your friends for help. Chapter 27, verse 10. It says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Okay, so that's a little easy to get lost in. So let me just explain what's taking place there. What's being imagined here is the scenario where someone's in trouble. It's a tough day and they're in need of help. And rather than turn to their good friend who's next door, they're traveling a long distance to go to their blood relative. And they're saying, that's where I'm gonna go get help. And the proverb is actually saying, don't make that long journey. The help is gonna be too late. It's not belittling family relationships, okay? Everybody got that? Not belittling blood relatives. But what it is saying is, when you have a close friend who's nearby, go to them and ask for help. Don't just always assume the only one who can help me in this moment is a blood relative because perhaps it would just be too inconvenient. And here's the thing that Proverbs wants us to get. True friendship asks for help. Now, a lot of us are probably okay with being inconvenienced and our friends asking us for stuff, yes? Happy to help when someone asks me for something. There's a lot of reasons behind that. Some of it's spiritual pride, by the way. But what Proverbs is doing is flipping that around and saying, don't just be the one who's willing to give help and show up in the, in the day of trouble. Be the one who's willing to what? Ask for help. Be the one who's willing to ask for help. Friends, we have to take this mentality with one another. In Christ, it is a joy to be inconvenienced by one another. I don't mean a joy like yippee kind of joy. I mean the kind of joy that is deep set because it's the kind of joy that says, I know I'm inconvenienced now and this is hard, but it's producing wisdom and righteousness and goodness and that's really what I'm after. That's really what I'm after. So this is so good. Friends, don't rob one another of the joy of that by not asking for help. Don't rob your brothers and sisters of the joy of bringing help to you and being the fulfillment of this proverb. Don't rob them of that by failing to ask for help. It's a myth that you can get through life on your own. That's a myth. You need the help of true friends. And you can't have true friends unless you ask for help when you need help. Such a deeply important thing to remember. All right, so we've, a bit of a fire hose today, yes? 
a lot of things about choosing friends, all right? Go back and meditate on the scriptures. Go back and meditate on them. Let it sink in deep, okay? I gave you little, little touch points there. Let me say this to close, close up shop here. I said at the very beginning of the sermon, the best choice I've ever made was friendship with Christ. To be reconciled to God through Christ, through sacrifice of Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the friend you need. I mean, we just know about how having true friends makes us wise. Guess what true friendship you need in your life to make you truly wise? Friendship with Jesus. The true friend who makes you wise beyond your imagination. And I don't just mean salvation. I don't just mean choosing to be saved by the blood of Christ through faith. I mean choosing daily friendship with Jesus. Choosing to wake up every day and go meet with your friend. Go listen to your friend. Listen, I mean, just listen to all the things we just said about what a true friend does and think about it. Jesus doesn't listen to the devil's accusations against you. Good friend doesn't listen to gossip. Jesus doesn't listen to the devil's accusations about us, no matter how hard he might try to make them. Jesus shows up in the hard times. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wick. He does not break a broken reed, a bruised reed. He speaks to us with more kindness than we deserve. Do you know that? When Jesus speaks words of forgiveness to you and mercy, what grace, what gracious speech the Lord takes towards us. He is willing to wound us with the truth. And for the sake of righteousness, he is willing to wound us when need be. And he loves it when we ask him for help. Jesus is the true friend who makes us wise. He does all these things in greater measure than any friend you'll ever have on the earth. But in becoming friends with him and seeing how he does all of these things that the Proverbs tell us a true wise friend does, we will become wise. We will become true friends. Because there's something about being with Jesus that starts to just shape you. It just shapes you like water over a rock. It shapes you. You want to be a friend that brings wisdom into the lives of your friends? Be a friend to Jesus. Let him be a friend to you. And watch what takes place in your life. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we do thank you. You are the wise one. You are the righteous one. You're filled with grace and mercy. You speak to us better than we deserve to be spoken to. You hear us when we call upon you and you come to help. We thank you that you are the friend that is closer than a brother. I pray now that you'd receive our praise. Our eyes are set upon you. We know that we need you to shape us into friends that produce wisdom. We ask for your help in doing so. We pray that our response of praise to your word, now we've heard your word, now we respond in praise. And we sing to you, come thou fount. So we ask you to come. I pray as the pastor, these men and women, that you would come in all your wisdom. Pour yourself out into them that they might be true friends. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's close our time together by singing to the Lord. Why don't you stand with me?